Welcome to Commentaries on the Book of the Prophet Jeremiah and the Lamentations by John Calvin, Volume 1. We are continuing to read at page 133 for this reading, which is Lecture 9th. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourself to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now to SWRB's reading of commentaries on the book of the prophet Jeremiah and the Lamentations by John Calvin, Volume 1, which we hope you find to be a great blessing and which we pray draws you near to the Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by him. John 14.6 Lecture ninth. In yesterday's lecture, God complained that he had spent labor in vain in chastising the children of Israel, for they were of a nature utterly untamable and refractory, incapable of being improved. Hence, he says, I have in vain endeavored by punishments to bring you back to the right way. But he now exaggerates their crime of obduracy, as they not only had rejected wholesome instruction, but had also shed innocent blood and persecuted as their enemies the prophets who had been sent to them from above in order to promote their well-being. God then condemns them here, not only for perverseness, but also for cruelty, for he says that he had not gained his object in leading them to repentance, and also that they had not only been refractory and incorrigible, but that they had besides cruelly raged against the prophets, and Jerusalem, we know, had been a slaughterhouse where many of the prophets had been killed. Some explain the passage of false teachers as though the prophet had said that it was to be ascribed to the wickedness of the people, that prophets who were false and who were false and mendacious suffered just punishment. And they, hit, and they lay hold on one word, even because they are called their prophets. Hence, Jerome says that they were said to be your, and not my prophets, as though God thus denied that he had given them any commission. But this view is forced and strained. We must, then, understanding the meaning to be what I have stated, that when God used means to heal the vices of the people, the very prophets, the ministers of salvation, were cruelly slain by the people. And this exposition best suits the expressions which follow as a devouring lion. For God says that the Jews raged against the prophets as though they had entered a forest full of lions. It now follows verse 31. O generation, see ye the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness unto Israel, a land of darkness? Wherefore, say my people, we are lords. We will come no more unto thee. The prophets assumes I'm sorry, the prophet assumes the character, no doubt, of one in astonishment, that he might render the sin of the people more detestable, for he speaks as one astonished generation. The word D-U-R, door, as it is well known, means an age, 
It is then the same as if he had said, On what time are we fallen, or in what an age do we now live? We now then perceive the import of the word. Then he adds, See ye the word of Jehovah. The word see seems not to be suitable, for he ought to have said, he ought to have said attend to, or hear. But he bids them to see, and most appropriate is the term, for he does not require the people to hear, but on the contrary, to know as though he had said, See ye yourselves what this is which the Lord declares. And he emphatically says, Atem, ye yourselves. For the Jews might have been deservedly condemned by all nations, were they brought into judgment. But the prophet shows that however blind they were, they might see with their own eyes what the Lord now says. He does not refer to instruction, but to a fact, as though he had said, The Lord by me expostulates with you, and though there should not be present any witness or a judge or an umpire, ye yourselves are able to understand and know this whole matter. We hence see how fitly the prophet speaks when he bids them to see the word of Jehovah. Footnote. The beginning of this verse literally is the age ye, that is, ye of this age or generation. He is speaking before more especially of the of the preceding age. He now appeals to the people of that generation. Ye of this age see, spoken hath Jehovah. Have I been a wilderness to Israel, or a land of darkness? Why have they said, even my people, we have ruled, we will no more come to thee? The above rendering of the latter part of the first line is favored by the Septuagint. Hear ye the word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord. The Arabic is the same. The Vulgate has, see the word of the Lord, and the Syriac, hear the word of the Lord. Blaney renders thus, Behold ye the cause of Jehovah. Gadiger takes see in the sense of considering. See, or seriously consider, the word of the Lord. The particle non-English letter, after non-English letter, may be rendered or, as in the Syriac. See Joshua 5.13. The word non-English word is found in two manuscripts, non-English word, which seems to be the true reading, countenanced by the Targum and all the early versions, except the Vulgate, which has Seratina, late word. Darkness is a common metaphor for wretchedness and misery. We have ruled is the literal rendering of non-English word, and there is no other reading. The Septuagint gives the same meaning, meaning, though the form is different. We shall not be lorded over non-English word. The Arabic is the same. It is the language of proud independence. The Targum, the Vulgate, and the Syriac have mistaken the verb for non-English word, which means to descend, to come down, to bring down. Blaney gives the correct idea. We are our own masters, which hoarsely approves. The preterite in Hebrew often includes the present, so the full meaning is, we have ruled and do rule. Editor. End footnote. For he immediately adds, how, I'm sorry, for he immediately adds, have I been a desert to Israel? He makes the Jews themselves the umpires and judges of the cause, whether they had not experienced the bounty of God and and had forsaken him according to his former complaint, when he said that God was the fountain of living waters and that they had dug for themselves broken cisterns. Hence he says, how has it happened that ye have departed from me? Have I in vain promised to be bountiful and kind to you? Did I disappoint you or your expectation while ye served me? 
Since then I had not been to you a dark and a gloomy land, a land without the light of the sun, but as a but as abundance of blessings had ever been found in me, how has it been that you have departed from me? He afterwards mentions another crime. Why have my people said, we are lords? The verb redenu, is, which is a non-English word, is variously explained by interpreters. Some derive it from I-R-E-G, I read, to descend, and think that the I-O-G is supplied by a point. But these differ in their views. Some refer to the calamities with which the Jews had been visited, and others to their apostasy. The first give this explanation. We have descended, that is, we have been oppressed with calamities. What then can we gain by calling on God, since our affairs are in so hopeless a state? The second draws forth another meaning. We have gone back, that is, there is no reason for the prophets to stun our ears by their clamors, for we have once for all resolved never to return to God. We have wholly renounced him, away with him, let him be gone together with his exhortations, for we will not attend to them. Both these expounders think it to be the language of despair, but we perceive how they differ. The first apply descend to the calamities of the people, and the second to their perfidy, because they had bidden adieu, as it were, to God, and wished not to have any further intercourse with him. Hmm. But there are others who take the word more grammatically. For R-E-D-E and R-U-D signifies to be Lord or to rule. I therefore prefer the view of those who render the word, we are lords. Some take the verb in a passive sense, but I know not for what reason. And the comment of others is very diluted. We have kings and counselors. I consider it to be the language of pride and of vain boasting. For the Jews thought themselves to be kings according to what Paul says of the Corinthians, Ye are rich, ye have reigned without us, and I would ye did reign. 1 Corinthians 4, 8 The Corinthians, being inflated with pride on account of the opulence of their city, despised the simplicity of the gospel. They looked for refined things and were much addicted to novelties. Hence Paul, seeing that they despised the grace of God, ironically reproved them and said that they wished to be rich and to be kings without him, to whom yet as an instrument they owed everything. The same vice is what Jeremiah now condemns in that people. We are lords, we will not come to thee. As though he had said, Your happiness has hitherto proceeded from me, for whatever you have been and whatever has been given you ought to be ascribed to me and to my bounty. But now without me, for God himself speaks, ye are kings, but by what right and by what title? What have you as your own? Why then has my people said, we will come no more to thee? We now understand the real meaning of the prophet. As to the subject itself, he in the first place, as I have already said, is in a manner astonished at the wickedness of the people, as at something monstrous. Hence he exclaims, O generation! as though he had said that what he saw was incredible. Then he immediately adds, See ye yourselves the word of Jehovah. This was much more severe than if he had summoned them before God's tribunal. For he thus proved that their wickedness was extremely gross, for they had without any cause, nay, without any pretext, and without shame, renounced God, who had been so bountiful towards them. He also, in an indirect manner, reproved them, because they refused to be instructed, 
For he commanded them to look on the fact itself, inasmuch as they were deaf, or having ears, they closed them against all instruction. For as we have said, he calls away their attention from the word to the fact itself, and this is what interpreters have not observed. Then follows an upbraiding, that God had not been a desert to them, but as the prophet had before showed, abundance of all blessings had flowed to them, so as fully to satisfy them. Since then God had enriched them through his blessing, their sin in departing from him was thereby more increased. <coughs> in the last part of the verse, God expostulates with them on their ingratitude, because they thought themselves to be lords. They were indeed a royal priesthood, but it was through God's favor. They did not reign through their own right. They did not reign because they had attained power through their own valor or efforts, or through their own merits, or their own good fortune. How then? Only through the favor of another. Though then they were kings only on the, connection, um, only on the condition of being subject to the supreme king, yet they wished to reign alone, that is, according to their own pleasure, and thus trod under their feet the favor of God. It is with this wickedness, then, that the prophet charges them, and the end of the verse is of the same import. We will come no more to thee, as though they stood in need of God's aid, for they thought they could supply themselves with whatever was necessary to support them. As then they were inflated with much pride, they despised the favor of God, as though they stood in no need of the aid of another. It follows, verse 32. Can a maid forget her ornaments, or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. God here confirms what is said in the last verse, and would make his people ashamed, because they valued him less than girls are wont to value their ornaments. The necklaces of young women are indeed nothing but mere trifles, and yet we see that girls are so taken with them through a foolish passion that they value such trinkets more than their very life. How then is it, says God, that my people have forgotten me? Is there to be found any such ornament? Can anything be found among the most valuable jewels and the most precious stones which can be, can be compared with me? God shows by this comparison how perverted the minds of the Jews were when they renounced and rejected a benefit so invaluable as to have God as their father and to be prosperous under his dominion, for nothing necessary for a blessed life had been wanting to them as long as they had continued the recipients of that paternal favor which God had manifested towards them and wished to show them to the end. As then they had found God to have been so bountiful, must they not have been more than mad when they willfully rejected his favor? While yet young women commonly set their thoughts and affections strongly and permanently on such trifles as are, as are of no value. Footnote. The second word, non-English word, is rendered sponsa, a bride, in our version by Calvin and Blaney, and so by the Vulgate, Syriac, and the Targum. But by the subjugant, non-English word, a virgin. And Parkhurst says that it never, meant, it never means a bride. The version then ought to be, can a maid, can a maid forget her ornaments, a virgin her bands? Then the word, non-English word, means bands of some kind is evident, as the verb signifies to bind or to join closely. Bands or bandage for the breast is the version of the Septuagint. The Arabic and the Vulgate are the same. Parkhurst considers that headbands are meant. Hmm. 
The word is also found in Isaiah 3.20, where the Septuagint render it rings, and the Targum chains, which were of gold and worn around the neck. For any practical purpose, it is only necessary to know that there were embellishments which young, young women delighted in, and women in every age are too fond of such things, and men too, but the case is introduced, introduced here only for the sake of illustration. Editor. And footnote. But the prophet designedly uses this uh, similitude, that he, ought, that he might introduce what is contained in the next verse. His object was to compare the Jews to adulterous women who, being led away by unbridled lust, follow wanton lovers. As then he intended to bring this charge against the Jews, he spoke expressly of the ornaments of young women, and hence it follows verse 33. Why trimmest thou thy way to seek love? Therefore hast thou also taught the wicked ones thy ways. This verse is differently explained, but the prophet simply means that the Jews were like lascivious women who not only despised their husbands at home, but ramble here and there in, the, in all directions, and also paint their faces and seek for themselves all the charms of wantonness. He says that the Jews had acted in this way, and hence he says that they made beautiful their ways. The verb in Hebrew has a wide meaning. It means to prepare, to conciliate favor. But its import here is, as though the prophet had said, Why dost thou disguise and paint thyself like strumpets? who use many artifices to allure young men and to inflame their lusts. Why then dost thou undertake so much labor to gain a meretricious hire? We shall hereafter see why he says this, for he upbraids them for applying to the Assyrians and the Egyptians. It was a common thing with the prophets to compare the people to lovers, for the Jews, while they ought to have been firmly attached to God, like a chaste woman, who does not turn her eyes here and there, nor gad about, but has respect to her husband alone, thought to seek safety now from the Assyrians, then from the Egyptians. This sinful disposition is then what the prophet here condemns, and hence he speaks of them metaphorically as of an adulterous woman who despises her husband and rambles after any she can find, and seeks wanton and silly young men in all places, and subjects herself to the gratification of it all. We now then understand what the prophet means. The words must be noticed. He says, Why makest thou find thy, thy ways? But he refers here to the care which a wanton woman takes to adorn her person, as though he had said, Why dost thou thus prepare, prepare thyself? And why dost thou seek for thyself what is splendid and elegant, that thy appearance may deceive the eyes of the simple? For the Jews might have remained safe and secure under God's protection, and might have done so without any calamity. As a husband is content with the beauty of his wife, and seeks no adventitious and refined elegancies, so God required nothing from that people except fidelity, like a husband who requires chastity in his wife. <coughs> the meaning, then, is, as a wife really attached to her husband has no need to undergo much labor, for she knows that her own native beauty pleases him. Nor does she labor much to gain the heart of her husband, for the best recommendation is her chastity. So ye might have lived without any trouble by only serving me and keeping my law. <coughs> but now what is your chastity? Ye are like wanton women 
who labor to gain the hearts of adulterers. For as they burn with lust, so there is no end nor limits to their attempts to seek embellishments. And they torment themselves, only that they might attach adulterers to themselves. Such then are ye, says God, for ye spend much care and labor in seeking for yourselves strange lovers. <coughs> he afterwards adds, Therefore thou hast also taught lewdness, lewdnesses. He alludes to the words he had before used, Thou hast made fine or fair thy ways. And now he says, Thou hast also taught wickednesses by thy ways. <coughs> he, descend, he declares that the Jews were worse than the Assyrians and the Egyptians, as a lascivious woman is far worse than all the adulterers whom she captivates as her paramours. <coughs> For when a young man is not deceived, and the devil does not apply the faggot, he may continue chaste, chaste and pure. But when an impudent and wanton woman entices him, it is all over with him. The prophet then says that the Assyrians and the Egyptians were innocent when compared with his own nation. How so? Because they have been led away, he says, by your allurements like young men who were destroyed by the fallacious ornaments of strumpets. For it is the same as though they had fallen into snares. The evil then has proceeded from you, and the fault lies with you. <coughs> Footnote. The exposition of this verse is no doubt materially correct. The words have been variously rendered. On the first clause, there is a general agreement. The verb taught in the second is in the first person in the received text. <coughs> and to this reading, Blaney gives the preference and thus renders the line, Therefore also have I taught calamities thy ways. That is, that God had directed calamities where to find them. But this is rather a remote idea. In favor of the second person, thou hast taught, are several manuscripts, all the early versions, and the Targum, and it is what has been most, has been by most adopted. The wicked ones of our vision, version is a rendering not countenanced by any of the ancient versions, nor by the Targum. All render it evil, or evils, or wickednesses. Editor. End footnote. We now understand the prophet's meaning, for he condemns the Jews because they afforded an occasion of evil both to the Assyrians and to the Egyptians, while they of their own accord sought their favor. It now follows, verse 34, Also in thy skirts is found the blood of the souls of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret search, but upon all these. The prophet repeats, as I think, what he had before said, <clears throat> that the wickedness of his of his nation was incorrigible, for they repented not when warned, but on the contrary raged like wild beasts against the prophets and religious teachers. These interpreters are mistaken who think that the savage cruelty of the Jews is general, in general is here condemned, and all are of this opinion. But the prophet no doubt enhances this evil by saying that the Jews were not only obstinate in their vices, but also raged furiously against the prophets. Hence he shows again that God had used all remedies to heal the Jews, but without effect. For what better medicine could have been offered than for the prophets to reprove the people and to show to them how wickedly they had departed from God? God then wished thus to correct the vices of his own people, but so far was he from effecting anything that at Jerusalem and through the whole of Judea 
The prophets were slaughtered, and the whole land was filled and polluted by their blood. Hence he says, Even in thy wings has been found the blood of the souls of the poor innocents. He calls the borders of garments wings. He seems to say that these slaughters were not hid, for the Jews were besprinkled with blood to the very extremities of their garment, as though he had said, There is no cause for me to deal sharply with you in this instance, for your filthiness is most apparent. Ye have not only been rebellious against my teaching, but ye have also cruelly murdered my prophets. If ye ask where these slaughters are to be found, even in your wings, on the borders of your garments, so that your crimes are fully known. We now perceive what the prophet means. We must also notice the import of the particle gam, G-A-M, also, or even. Their cruelty was worse and more nefarious, because they thus rose up against their own physicians, for the prophets, as it, is said, as it has been said, were the ministers of their safety. As then they thus raged against God's favor so as to murder his prophets, it became still more evident that they were utterly irreclaimable. He afterwards adds what serves for confirmation. They have not been found in digging under. Some give, other, give another explanation that their opinion is right who think that the prophet alludes to what is said by Moses in Exodus 22.2, that if a thief should be found in digging under or undermining, he might be killed with impunity. For he who thus breaks through into the houses of others is equal to a robber in audacity, and he ought to be counted not only a thief, but also as one guilty of manslaughter and felony. God then says that the prophets who had been slain by the Jews had not been found in digging up, that is, had not been found guilty of any crime, either of robbery or of murder, for he mentions a particular act instead of the general crime. But it is then on account of all these things, that is, because they boldly dared to reprove you, because they severely condemned your vices, because they discovered your baseness, because they were enemies to your perfidy and to your sins, as then the prophets had thus by the divine spirit carried on war with your sins, they have on this account been murdered by you. Footnote. Our version of this text seems on the whole the best. Blood is to be taken here in a collective sense, as the verb to, to which it belongs is the plural. Instead of poor innocence, it ought rather to be the innocent poor, as the noun in Hebrew generally precedes its adjective adjective. Found is in the first person, and there is no different reading, and it is so in the Septuagint and the Vulgate, though the, the Syriac and Arabic give a second person, and the Targum the third person plural, as Calvin does. The last word is rendered these in the Vulgate and the Targum, but oak in the Septuagint, the Syriac, and the Arabic, and adopted by Blaney, but disapproved by Hubigant and Horsley. As to the word rendered in our version, secret search, the early versions have pit, pits, or ditches, and so the Targum. Blaney renders it a digged hole, of which Horsley approves. And he refers as an illustration to Leviticus 17.3, I'm sorry, 17.13, and to Ezekiel 24.7. The word means digging and seems to be used here metaphorically for searching, there is no need of adding secret to it. Also in thy skirts has been found the blood of the souls of the innocent poor, 
Not by searching have I found it, but upon all these, that is, skirts. The reference is to what is said in verse 30, where the Jews are charged with the killing of the prophets. As to the blood, we find a similar passage in Ezekiel 24, 7 and 8. Editor. End footnote. We see how well the whole passage reads, provided it be applied to the prophets only. It was not indeed the object of Jeremiah to condemn murders generally among the Jews, but to show that they were the enemies of the prophets because they were opposed to every good and sound counsel and were incapable of receiving instruction. The mistake of other expounders is hereby made evident, for in the last clause they touch neither heaven nor earth. It follows. Verse 35. Yet thou sayest, Because I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead with thee, because thou sayest, I have not sinned. The prophet here shows that the Jews were possessed of such a brazen front that they could not be led by any admonitions to feel any shame. Though then they were like adulterous women, and though they gave meretricious hire to such as they ran into all parts, and though also they had murdered the prophets and the pious ministers of God, yet they boasted, as persons conscious of no evil, that they were innocent. Thou hast yet said, that is, how darest thou to pretend to be innocent, since thou art proved to be guilty, not by allegations, but by manifest and glaring proofs. In short, the prophet shows that the condition of the people was past remedy, for they would not receive any admonition. Nay, they dared, as it were, with the front of brass, obstinately to boast that they were incorrect. Thou hast said, he still speaks of a woman in the feminine gender, thou hast yet said, surely I am clean. Thus hypocrites not only excuse themselves and allege vain pretenses, but dare to come forth publicly and to fly, as it were, above the clouds, elated by their own self-confidence. Who will dare to allege anything against me? Thus hypocrites willfully and impertinently challenge all the servants of God and seek by their own presumption to close the mouth of all. The prophet now condemns this petulancy in the Jews, for though they were manifestly proved guilty, yet they boastingly asserted that they were innocent. Only, ak, ak, I take here to mean only, depart. The prophet here upbraids the Jews with another crime, that they said that wrong was done to them by God in seeking to bring them to a right mind by punishment and by reproof. For God, as it is well known, had inflicted many punishments on the Jews and had also added serious reproofs. He tried by these means to find out whether they were, incap whether they were capable of being healed. What did they say? I am innocent, and God is angry with me without cause. Let him remove his anger from me. That is, only let not God deal severely with us, nor use his supreme authority, and we shall be able to prove our innocency. Thus ungodly men, when urged with severe warnings, vomit forth their blasphemies against God. Oh, what can I do? I know that I am not able to resist. God fights with a shadow when he afflicts me. His violence I must indeed bear, though he may overwhelm me. Yet he doeth me wrong, because were he to deal justly and fairly with me, I could prove that I do not deserve these evils. Such, then, was the language of the Jews. Only depart, let his fury from me. We could then show that we are just, or at least excusable. 
<clears throat> now also in this part, we perceive the design of the prophet. It was to show that the Jews not only dared dishonestly and proudly to claim innocency for themselves, but hesitated not to contend with God and to intimate that he with too much severity oppressed them and did not treat them justly, but announced a cruel sentence for the purpose of overwhelming them. Behold, he says, I will judge thee, because thou hast said, I have not sinned. Some give this version, I judge or condemn thee. But there is here no doubt a contrast between the fury of God and his judgment. The people say that God was too rigorous. This was his fury. God now mentions his judgment. There is no reason, he says, for you to allege such a pretext as this, as it will vanish into nothing, for I will in judgment contend with you. That is, I will really prove that I am a just judge and not a tyrant, that I execute just punishments and according to the law, and that I am not like a man in anger who takes vengeance on his enemies and does so precipitately and rashly. I will show, he says, that I am a just judge. We may hence gather a profitable instruction. Let it in the first place be observed that nothing is so displeasing to God as this headstrong presumption, that is, when we seek to appear innocent, while our own conscience condemns us. Then in the second place, observe that all who thus perversely rebel and strive dishonestly and shamelessly to defend their own vices contend at the same time with God. For false excuses have ever this tendency to charge God with unjust severity. <clears throat> but we see what, what such men gain for themselves, for God shows that he will at length be their judge, and that he will openly discover the vices of those who thought they could excuse themselves by evasions and by false charges against himself. They then who thus obstinately resist God must at length, according to what the prophet declares, come to this end, that they will be constrained to acknowledge that God has not been too violently angry with them, but has only executed a just punishment. Footnote. The literal rendering of this verse is as follows. Verse 35. And thou hast said, Verily I have been innocent. Surely turned away has he his anger from me. Behold, I will contend in judgment with thee on account of thy saying, I have not sinned. The Septuagint have rendered the second line, the second line, Let his anger be turned away from me. And the Vulgate and the Arabic are the same. The Syriac is... Therefore he turns away his anger from me. Turned away is his anger, is the Targum, Piscator, June, and Trum. Delaney renders it, Surely his wrath shall turn from me. There is no reason for construing the verb in the future sense or in the imperative mood. It is in the past tense, and there is no other reading. The claim of innocency is made on this supposition that God had turned away his displeasure. Hence the declaration that follows, that God would contest the matter, would bring it, as it were, into trial, as the verb here, when in nifle means. Editor and footnote. Prayer. Grant, Almighty God, that since we are loaded with so many vices, and provoke thee so often, yea, daily, and in ways innumerable, O grant that we may not at last become hardened against thy godly admonitions, but be teachable and submissive, and in time repent 
lest our wantonness and hardness should constrain thee to put forth thy powerful hand against us. But as we have hitherto experienced thy paternal kindness, so may we in future be made partakers of it, and thus become more and more accustomed to bear thy yoke, until having at length completed our warfare, we shall come to that blessed rest which has been provided for us in heaven through Christ our Lord. Amen. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival's Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, <coughs> Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L325. I'm sorry, 3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add, A-D-D, in the subject line. <clears throat> SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list, so once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by an email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you've supplied. Your email address information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you're on our email list, you'll be alerted to all the new free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and text, etc. As WRB makes available on the web as well as at times to our as well as at times our best discounts and super specials. <coughs> we also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message, including the heading and trailer, is not altered in any way and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And and remember that Isaiah 26.3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians 13.11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, Be of good one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you.